0: www.jcasnetwork.org
1: Welcome to the Daily Daf Differently. I'm Rabbi Harry Pell, and today we are studying Masechet Psachim, Daf Tzaditet, that's Tractate Psachim, Daf 99, which contains the final words of the ninth Perik or chapter, and the first words of the very famous 10th Perik. For our learning today, we will examine a few elements from Amud Aleph, the first side of the daf, and the conclusion of the ninth Perik. And then study the opening Mishnah of the next parak from Amud Bet, which sets the scene for much of the Pesach Seder as we are familiar with it today. The opening words of Tzadi Tet Amud Aleph, 99a, are It is from here that the sages said, Silence is appropriate or fitting for the wise. Kal v'chomer, all the more so, it is appropriate for fools, as it says in Proverbs, the biblical book of Mishle, chapter 17, verse 8, when a foolish man is silent, he is thought to be wise. There's a lot going on here that I think is worth unpacking. First and foremost, this is the conclusion of a discussion on the previous daf, in which two principles are juxtaposed that create some challenging situations for the rabbis to decipher. For one thing, an individual generally does not bring a Paschal offering, a Korban Pesach, alone, and so must join into a syndicate with at least one other person or family and sign on together to a particular sacrifice, so to speak. But by the same token, an individual also cannot be a party to more than one Paschal sacrifice. So, what happens when two individuals make a verbal request and commitment to each other that whoever slaughters their Korban Pesach first should include the other as having signed on to their sacrifice. The previous daf concludes by telling us that this is a shame. They are both counted as having been a party to the first Korban Pesach, and so neither may be a party to the second, which must now be burned completely. This leaves it to the first words of today's daf to comment on this sorry state of affairs. Silence is appropriate for the wise, all the more so for the foolish. How much better would it have been if both sides had remained silent? Had they both said nothing, not requesting or committing to each other, the first to sacrifice would have counted as part of the group sponsoring the first sacrifice, and the second individual would have counted towards the group sponsoring the second sacrifice, and all would have been well. And that's why the rabbis comment that silence here would have been golden, so to speak. Let's examine from this, though, three things. First, the statement itself it is good for the wise to remain silent, and all the more so for fools. Abraham Lincoln said it a little differently. He said, "'Tis better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt." Except here, 1700 years earlier, the rabbis of the Mishnaic period, writing in a brightah, a text not included in the Mishnah, they take it a step further. Yes, speaking out loud can get us all in trouble, fools and wise people alike. But remaining silent, according to them, actually confers an impression of Wisdom. So, if the wise can benefit and maintain an impression of still being wise by remaining silent, how much more so is it true for fools who can benefit and give off the impression of being wise simply by being silent? Obviously, silence is not truly a stand in for wisdom, but there is much truth to this pithy, pithy witticism. Next, let's examine the mechanics of the argument that the rabbis used to prove this the Kalvachomer itself. Translated literally means light and heavy, although it is also often translated as lenient and strict or serious, and appropriately so, as this is contextually just an adaptation of the true meaning. A situation or a ruling that is light in the rabbi's eyes is a lenient ruling. A heavy ruling, by comparison, is a strict one. We use the same sense of these words in modern English when we refer to a long criminal sentence as a weighty or heavy sentence. It is a chamor, strict or serious sentence. Someone who gets off with a light sentence, on the other hand, got a kal, or lenient ruling. In technical terms, a kalva is an a fortiori argument, Latin for with even stronger reason. And this is an an excellent example of how a kalva works, because the lines of conclusion are so simply drawn. First, there must be a premise or argument that is accepted as true, even if it is based only on average evidence, and seen as only true, as opposed to certainly true, or very true. This is the kal, or light scenario. It is then compared to a situation that, while as yet unproven, will by logic be considered to be based on even stronger evidence, or seen to be even more certainly true. This is the chomer. In this case, the initially accepted assertion is that it is good, at times, for the wise to maintain their silence. We are expected to accept this because of the quote that follows, but also because it is logical in the light of the scenario with the two paschal lambs at the bottom of the previous doff, and also generally. A wise person who might have uttered something inaccurate or silly maintains their positive reputation simply by remaining silent. True. We accept this. So if silence is beneficial to the wise, who are already perceived positively to be wise people, doesn't it stand to reason? Isn't it even more true that silence is beneficial to the foolish, who can appear to be simply wise by being silent? Indeed it does. Kal v'chomer. And that's exactly how kal v'chomer works. Admittedly, this is a silly example without a great deal of practical outcome, but this hermeneutic device works in exactly the same way when dealing with practical shakla v'tarya, the give-and-take dialectic of the entire Talmud. And third, it is, of course, backed up with a pasuk, a verse from the Tanakh. Because, as much as the rabbis loved using these logical devices to interpret Torah and to resolve complex situations, nothing beats support from a biblical verse. And finally, because it will figure into tomorrow's daf, the Mishnah at the top of 99b. Erev Psachim, on the eve of Pesach, Samuch Limincha, near the time of mincha, so from about the middle of the afternoon, Lo Yochal Adam Adjatechshach, a person should not eat anything from that time until it gets dark, at which point the Seder should be commenced, including the eating of matzah, which will now be done with a serious appetite. A poor person, and by this the Mishnah means all people, and even a poor person, should only eat in a reclining position, in the manner of free and wealthy people. And he, this poor person, and by extension all Jews, must be provided with no less than four cups of wine, even if the money for these four cups must come from the communal charity plate or the soup kitchen. And with that, the Mishnah ends. We will be discussing it through the words of the Gemara that comment on it for the next many days. Thank you, and yesher koach. I hope you enjoyed today's Daily Daff Differently.
0: I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daff Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Horus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.